Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Effortless by Greggy McEwen. Make it easier to do what matters. Life is hard. Really hard in all sorts of ways. Disappointments are hard. Paying the bills is hard. Strained relationships are hard. Raising children is hard. Losing a loved one is hard. There are periods in our life where every day can feel like it can be hard. Yeah, there's a lot of hard shit that you get to deal <laughs> with every day and every... Maybe not every moment. There's a lot of hard There's stuff a lot of hard going stuff. on. And trying to pretend that this book or this podcast episode is going to magically eliminate all of these hardships, it's BS. That's just not going to happen. And this book isn't downplaying these burdens, but what we are going to try and do is lighten these burdens. This book, it's not going to make every hard thing easy, um, but hopefully we can make a whole bunch of hard things easier. If that makes... Yeah. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be easier. I'm confused now. <laughs> We're making things easier. Hopefully. That's the plan. And it's true that working hard and, you know, choosing the hard path can you get you can get better results, but only to a point. Because after all, there's actually an upper limit on how much time and how much energy that you can invest into something. And the more depleted you get, the more our return on that effort it starts to dwindle and you get those diminishing returns. That's right. The cycle can continue and we can keep working and keep pushing and keep grinding. And of course, we can get burnt out. We can get exhausted. We still haven't produced the results we want, but there's no energy left. You probably know this feeling. You might be experiencing it right now. Uh, but instead, what if we took the opposite approach? Instead of pushing ourselves past our limits, what if we sought the easier path? I like it, mate. And I think it's about time we spoke about Greg McEwen and his two books because on the surface, they look pretty much the same. They got a <laughs> Physically, they line. do look the same. <laughs> the word looks the same. They sound the same. So, his other one was called Essentialism and um, it was in a similar sort of context and that had a simple idea, right? And that was all about disciplining ourselves only to say yes to essential activities, start saying no to everything else, right? So, just mm. reducing the amount of stuff that is in your life essentially. Yeah, and that makes sense. If you pick only the essential things, you should be sweet. But then Greg realized, even as Mr. Essentialism himself, he realized there is sometimes still too much shit on your plate. Even if you've said no to everything else and only yes to the essential, sometimes the essential is still too much. Uh, so then that's when he went for this book as well. To uh, The next cash grab, I guess, was that essentialism was about doing the right things. Now, effortless comes along and it's about doing the essential things in the right way. So, have a think to yourself, what could happen in your life if all the easy but pointless things became harder and the essential things that you need to do, all of that became easier, right? So, the things that you know you should be doing, that you have to be doing, the essential projects that you're putting off, instead of something you're procrastinating on because it's just, just too, too much going on, you actually start enjoying that a lot more and it becomes effortless. Such a shift, right? It's a big deal if the, all that hard stuff became easy um, and it would put the thing, the deck in your favor, right? And that's the value proposition of this book, Effortless. Yeah, it's about a, a whole new way to work and live, a way to achieve more with less and achieve more because you're at ease because you're not pushing so hard. You actually find that the effortless path is actually going to help you get to your goals quicker. Our human brain's pretty wild, Um never seen one i've never peeked inside the hood but i've seen a few photos and i've heard it off a few books it's a lot like a supercomputer designed with extremely powerful capabilities that we don't really understand what's going on but it's doing some wild stuff in there you're really built to learn really quickly you solve problems intuitively uh, you compute the right next action quite effortlessly and under its optimal conditions your brain works at insane mm. speeds and just like a supercomputer Sometimes, your brain doesn't always operate optimally. 
That's right. If you think about how a computer slows down when uh, you got too many tabs open, uh, you got too many programs running all at the same time, you got Spotify running, you got emails running, you're trying to do work on spreadsheets, and all of a sudden it starts to conk out a little bit. Some things take slower to load. There's a bit of a there's a bit of a lag. Your brain kind of does the same thing. If you've got too many tabs open, if you've got too many programs running, if you've got too many thoughts flying around in your brain, then your supercomputer inside your head starts to slow down and, and operate suboptimally as well. That metaphor works really well. Uh, I think, yeah, some days you just, I don't know, do you get it as well? You're just, just cluttered, You're just <laughs> yeah, cluttered. You just got to go for a on. walk. Too much bloody shit going on. <laughs> and like when your computer's doing that and you realize things are slowing down, you do you control it, delete, and you end task on a lot of things. You can, in a very similar way, there are tactics to rid your brain of all the clutter, which is slowing down the hard drive of your, of your mind. And by just hitting a few of these buttons, you can be restored to your original factory settings. Um, geez, that sounds pretty brutal, but I don't want to go back to the factory settings. It's not that far back. <laughs> That's just fully wiping out their brain, Greg. It's too far, Greg. Come on. We just want to delete the, the, the apps that are running, really. Uh, so, right. we'll go with that. Greg's That's wrong. Right. You're wrong, we'll just, Greg. We'll go back a couple of days, not a couple of decades. Yeah, and uh, go back to this effortless state. <laughs> That's right. And the big question here is we've got to invert it. We've got to say, what if this could be easy? Now, all too often, we're sacrificing our time, our energy, in many cases, our sanity. Uh, we're kind of believing that sacrifice is essential to itself. To get important things done, it's going to be a hard slog. It's going to be hard work. We're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to put things on the line. But there's, it's a bit of a false dichotomy, really. Uh, the complexity in our modern world, we kind of think there's either two things. There's either essential and hard, or there's easy but trivial. Mm. But Big Greg, you saying, actually, you know what? Sometimes there is things that are essential, but you can be easy and effortless at the same time. Yeah, it's it's spruced a lot in our culture, I think. Uh, the people who, especially in that motivation space, are just sort of like, you're just going to push through it, through the hard <laughs> stuff and take on the hard stuff. Don't take the easy road. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's what, um, what we all believe now, right? Like the things to achieve your goals, you're just going to slog through it and hard and sacrifice your life and... You know, the easy and trivial things, you get to stop doing that. And our language around it really doesn't help either because we say things like, hey, this hard thing, it took blood, sweat and tears to get it or you achieve something, you tell your parents at the dinner table, oh, uh, these achievements were hard earned. You know, there's all that sort of language. Yeah, you go through a hard day's work instead of a good day's work or just a day's work. On the other side as well, you know, easy money. It's looked down upon. If you made easy money, probably through unscrupulous means. You know, if someone says something, you might say, "Oh, that's easy for you to say, just to take them down a peg." Uh, you might. We do look at like someone. If someone's there, gone, um, both earn a lot of money from doing yeah. actions. The person who slogged it after ten, you respect them more than the person. Yeah, it is easy meal. Yeah. Just like with a big smile at the dinner table. Those are those assumptions about hard means it's worthwhile or easy means it's not worthwhile. It's very rarely ever questioned. We don't really pause to consider if there can't be that middle ground of easy but still good. Mm, I like it. So, what Greg does, he he uh, does an inversion for the effortless approach and he says to invert something means to turn an assumption and or approach and turn it upside down to work backwards and ask, what if the opposite were true? For many overachievers, we're just thinking that 
it's just hard work, hard work, hard work to solve problems, to do anything important. We've got to be, we're probably going to come out the other side exhausted, overwhelmed, but it was going to be worth powering through to get to the other side. But you're saying it doesn't have to be. What if this could be easy? Flip it on its head, do that inversion question. What if this could be easy? It means getting good results, getting good things done by putting in less effort, maintaining a state of focus, clarity, and calm. He says there are, you know, there's, there's so many things that we want to achieve, and there's kind of two ways to achieve them. One is to gain some kind of superhuman superpowers to do all these impossibly hard tasks and, and not feel the effects of burnout, or you can make them easy instead. Yeah. You can shoot from here, Josh. Have you got some e- examples of this come to mind? I mean, I think there's some, um, there's a lot of things that people do where it's just hard all day that there's probably just an easier way, but I think your brain just thinks that because it, it's hard, you're, you're doing the right thing mm-hmm. rather than, um, you know, doing something easy. You know, you might be going through all this effort to create a PowerPoint template or something and, and then, you know, maybe you could just outsource it to someone and, mm. and that way you just uh, take the morning off and then go and play golf or go surfing, <laughs> quite literally. Um, That's it. I won't go into too much <laughs> detail here with an employer listening. <laughs> outsource your work overseas a little bit. <laughs> Um, Bring us home with some quotes. <laughs> yeah, there's a few good quotes here. You know, we're normally talking about we're pushing shit uphill, but he says, what about if you can just push it downhill instead? Seth Godin, uh, who we've done a whole bunch of his books, he says, you know, if you can't think about how hard it is to push a business uphill, especially when you're getting started, one answer is just say, you know, why don't you just start a different business that you can push downhill? Good from Seth. Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn says, I have come to learn that part of the business strategy is to solve the simplest, easiest, and most valuable problem and actually, in fact, part of doing strategy is to solve the easiest problem. Which is interesting from a, you know, someone who's been a part of yeah, a couple why, of multi-billion dollar businesses. A, yeah. Why get your apple from the top of the tree, eh? That's right. Ariana Huffington, she said, it's our collective delusion that overwork and burnout are the price we must pay in order to succeed. So, obviously, collective delusion, meaning we're tricking ourselves into something that isn't true. You know, it's not necessary that overwork and burnout are the only way to get to success. There is other ways. So, you got to think when a strategy is so complex that each step feels like you're pushing a boulder uphill, you're exerting so much effort and it's things are just so bloody hard, take a pause, invert the problem and ask yourself, what is the simplest way to achieve the result? Is there another path we can take here to get it done? When we get rid of the false assumption that the easy path has to be the inferior path, then obstacles sort of fade away and we move into this effortless state. Larry Silverberg is a dynamicist at uh, the North Carolina State University. Dynamicist. Interesting word to say. But basically what it means is he's uh, an expert in the movement of physical things. And what he's done is uh, over the last 20 years, he studied millions of basketball free throws. So that's a, it's a very niche thing to commit an entire Ooh. career to. Free throws. We well, can Very charge simple action, isn't it? Well, it's a good. It's a good market. There's like the richest people in the world, really, in that. That's and if true. You, if you're the only one who's, you know, the expert in it, it's, it's a good start. <laughs> That's true. And what he's found is that the sweet spot for getting the best free throw shooting percentage, it's all about the speed at which you release the ball. It's all about having a nice, smooth, natural, controlled, intuitive sort of a movement. If you're trying too hard, if you're too tensed, the ball moves too fast, and it's not going to have that nice little swish on the other side. You're going to bounce mm. off the backboard or bounce off the rim and it's uh, he's found that it's really the the smooth, controlled, 
effortless action leads better than if you're trying to put too much effort into it. And so the goal here is to get to the point where actually trying without trying. It comes mm-hmm. up in a lot of books like uh, the, uh, what was the golf one? <laughs> what was the golf one? We don't know the golf um, one, have we? The, <laughs> in a game of tennis? In a game of yeah. tennis one. <laughs> That's thinking of. But, um, you know, like I've played, I've got a basketball ring in the backyard. And when I'm just shooting hoops by myself all day, it's easy. I mean, I'm nailing mm. it. But then mm. when I, the, the pressure's on, I'm playing against Corey in our, yeah. um, the Lavuki <laughs> games that we got here. You've got table tennis and all that. Uh, you shoot from one spot, you go back, you shoot again. Mate, she, we're 50-50. She, mm. I used to play, I've played 10,000 hours plus of basketball. <laughs> when I'm thinking about it, I'm just yeah. exerting too much effort and then she's just swishing them. <laughs> That's right. So, it strikes home this one. Yeah, there is this uh, law of diminishing returns. Obviously, basketball, we're a bit of a metaphor to work here. Of course, you do want to put in some effort to get some results, but there is a pretty quickly you hit this point where more effort doesn't actually lead to better results. More effort, you're kind of plateauing. And in fact, if you try to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing past that point, you actually lead to negative results. So, for example, Greggy talks about if he's writing a book, you know, he can write two good pages in two hours. It's pretty slow. You think you want to go a bit quicker than that. Yeah. But he says two, oh, I suppose good pages, two good pages in two hours. He says if he does another two hours after that, he can do another one page. And then he says, if he does another two hours after that, it's just useless. Mm. And he says, sometimes it's actually making it worse because then he, what's he's, what he starts to do, he starts to go back and edit the other stuff and it actually makes it worse than where he started. So, he's saying it's probably better to just do your, do your two hours, get your two good pages in and then stop and move on to something else. Yeah, you start sabotaging your uh, your performance. So, it's like the economists call it the law of diminishing returns. Like At a certain point, your things are going really well up, up the, the hill, but each extra unit of input produces extra output but at a certain point you go past the hill and then uh, each extra unit of input decreases the rate of output and this is uh, you know you could be doing something else there more productive probably resting to actually get those mm. next time you you know you're not going to be hitting those diminishing returns so early that's right I want to find the sweet spot there's a, a tale of caution here about the Swedish warship 400 years ago King Gustav II the king of Sweden he saw that he needed to vitally upgrade his armada of ships. He wanted to protect his people from the growing naval powers that surrounded him. So his attention was drawn to building this giant military warship. He thought, you know, if I can build this massive fuck-off ship, people aren't going to stuff with us anymore. Oh, so, yeah. So he found this shipbuilder, Henrik Hybertsen, and he said, you know what? I'm going to build this massive ship. It's going to be called the Vasa. And you know what? This is a really important project. Here's a forest of a 1,000 trees. You can chop them all down to make this massive ship. Here's, I'm opening up my uh, little royal purse here. You can dig into it whenever you need to grab a bit of money for yourself, grab a bit of money for your employees. It's an unlimited budget effectively because what I want is this awesome ship that's going to turn off the other people and they're not going to attack us and we're going to you know, maintain our, our power of dominance. Pretty phenomenal client, isn't it? When they've got an open <laughs> checkbook, just go and, just go and make this big up. ass ship for me. This, the only issue is the king, uh, it did make it a bit more difficult because he kept changing his vision of what the final product uh, would look like. At first, it was meant to be 108 foot long with 32 cannons on deck and he said, uh, let's make it 120 feet, even though the lumber had already been cut to the mm. original spec. Poor trees. Um, yeah. So it's going back to that forest. Poor trees. So sooner they chopped down more trees and trimmed them to new specs and then he changed his mind against 135 mm, feet. He, wanted a bi- he wasn't happy with 108 feet. He wants he wants a big ship. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he just kept on changing. So the original specs had to move and made a previous work redundant. Originally 32 cannons, then went to 36, uh, then kept tweaking the amount of cannons on the deck as well. 
<laughs> it, was, it was crazy. He eventually ended up with this 36 cannons, two rows, 12 small ones at the front, and then another 48 mortars at the back, plus 12 additional small caliber weapons. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was crazy, the point he got to. Starting from an original, you know, it was still going to be a bloody good ship if he actually had done that first one. It took 400 people, tremendous effort to make this happen. And of course, every time they got close to the finish line, Big King Gustav said, you know what? I want 64 cannons, actually. Yeah. And then poor Hybertson apparently had a fatal heart attack. Greggy McEwen saying it was probably because of King Gustav pretty much put an end to him. You know, this endless project kept going. Henrik's assistant, Hein Jakobsen, he took over. Budgets kept escalating. Effort kept expanding. The king kept changing the goal. And eventually, they're getting to this place where the king said, you know what? We've got this awesome ship. We've got all these weapons. You know what else it needs? It needs 700 ornate sculptures to be added on both sides of the ship so that, <laughs> so that it looks awesome as well. And just those sculptures alone took an additional two years to complete. An extra two years for that. That's exactly what you need at the very end, isn't it? For a warship, right? <laughs> and of course, they threw the beers party of all time as it as it left the, the harbour and uh, everyone was partying and, and the ships went away in the wind. But as it sort of just went off in the distance... A big gust of wind came down and it caused the massive vessel to just tilt slightly to one side and everyone's like, oh. <laughs> and another gust came and it, <laughs> and it flipped over and all that hard work was just done. It was oh game over goodness. on day one when it went out there. And unfortunately, it only took 50 minutes for the whole thing to sink and 53 crew members died and sunk with it. Yeah, they died less than uh, uh, just a couple of hundred meters offshore because all this time they were building all these weapons and sculptures. They didn't actually test, can this boat actually still stay afloat if we're putting all this shit on there? Um, but big King Gustav just thought, you know what, I'm going to invite all my mates, all my rich foreign diplomats. I'm going to send fireworks and it's going to be this awesome show. But the big problem here to round it all out is that you know King Gustav, he wanted to have this massive warship but the problem was he didn't know what done looked like. He kept changing the goalposts. He kept saying, you know what? We're not done yet. This is what done looks like. And he kept redefining that. So whenever you're doing any sort of project that is essential that you're working on, you need to really clearly define your idea of what completion looks like. If you want to make things as hard as possible, just make the end goal as vague as you possibly can. <laughs> because with that vagueness, you're going to have this heavy cost of light tinkering because you get somewhere near the end point, you go, ah, wouldn't that little feature might yeah. add or that, and you go bang, 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 and it's just never ending, isn't it? And at first, maybe the tinkering was good, maybe tinkering to add those four extra cannons, maybe that was good, but when you get to the point of adding 700 sculptures because you kept tinkering, then you're just making things a hell of a lot worse. So Greg, like his other book, he's broken out into three sections, the first section we covered was effortless state. Second was effort action, effortless action. Should I say? You never pull me up when I say things wrong. The only time we get <laughs> pulled up is when we get one star reviews saying uh, that one of the hosts can't talk. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I'm not that good at it. Um, and part three is effortless results. So effortless results, he says, is just it's not just to achieve results once through intense effort, as in push, 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 you get there, great, fantastic. He calls that linear results. You know, every day you're starting from zero. If you don't put in effort that day, you don't get the results. It's a bit of a one-to-one ratio. You know, an employee, they work for one day, they get paid for one day. A volunteer goes to the soup kitchen one morning and they make a, a few people happy, but they got to go again the next day. The entrepreneur working as a freelancer, they get paid when they do work. It's a very linear business model. He says the father who has to remind their kid to do the same chores every day, that's linear parenting. And obviously, these linear results, they're kind of limited. You know, they only work if you put in the work, you put in that effort. So, that's all about linear. But most people realize there's actually another alternative out there. And this goes in 
pretty much any domain, right? Where you're doing linear things versus where you're doing residual things. And with residual results, you exert the effort once, but then you reap the benefits again and again, a little bit like our old pal uh, compound interests. Mm-hmm. And the results continue to flow to you. And even whilst you're sleeping, even when you're not there putting in uh, effort and action, you're still getting the results anyway. That's right. If you think of the author, they write a book, they put in that effort once, but then they get paid royalties on every sale, even though there's no additional writing effort after that. You know, the person who makes this one-time decision that says, I'm going to exercise every day, it's like a residual decision. Or if you think about the volunteer who has to work in the soup kitchen every day, compare that to the social entrepreneur who provides micro loans that are repaid and then they get loaned out again and they're making this residual contribution. They've set up a system to keep going and keep going rather than just having to work every single day for it. One of Greg's mates one day, he went in for knee surgery. As you do sometimes, we all do surgery. Comes out of it, fantastic. I feel a bit better. Um, but after a while, some weird sort of pain came back. Eventually went to... This is bloody... This is your time. This is exactly what happened to me. I might have swapped this in my really? story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, got my, I broke my ankle and then they put a, a wire in there one day. At first, I'm like um, to wrap it back up or something. And at first, I'm like, hey, this is feeling good. And then when I started playing footy again, I'd run. When I'd change directions, I'd feel this twinge in the nerve and I'd... um, I'd, I'd People would say like a sniper hit me. That's how fast I'd hit the ground. It's because they put the um the wire like right on the nerve, right? So, it was a lot of weird stuff going on there. But yeah, one day I go back uh, to the hospital and um, <laughs> it's, the story's even worse than this because someone tried to... Anyway, but I went back to the hospital and they took the wire out and things were better again. <laughs> it's crazy that sometimes such smart people like doctors and surgeons can make such silly mistakes of leaving bits of things inside human bodies that shouldn't be left there. In this heat of complex surgery, they make these careless mistakes. And you might say, you know, if they were just thinking, you know, they would have made a silly mistake of leaving a piece of wire in your ankle. But then what you really should say is actually, you know what? They shouldn't have to think. There should be systems in place. They should, you know, get the, these residual results where they've put in. They've worked hard to put a system in place, and then after that, you don't have to think anymore. As the great uh, Alfred North Whitehead, one of your mates, once said, "Civilization advances by extending the number of important operations which we can perform without thinking about them." So the goal here isn't to do as hard shit as possible. It's to actually do things without having to do them, without having to think about them. Yeah, Atal Gawande, he wrote the book, The Checklist Manifesto, um, and we did his other book, Being Mortal. Have you read The Checklist Manifesto? It's been on my shelf, I reckon, for six years. There. Well, it was I haven't read sitting it. there since the first season of the podcast. Yeah, it's an Have early... you had a crack at it yet? No. Looks looks pretty boring, I think. <laughs> it comes up a lot. It comes up, a, so maybe we'll give it a crack at some <laughs> stage. He says, you know, humans have learned a whole bunch of shit, uh, the extraordinary stuff, scientific, technological, humanistic progress, but he argues... All this progress and complexity has got a downside because there's so much stuff out there that experts need to know that it's too much for them to try and manage. Think about that doctor who's having to go up my ankle. There's a lot going on. There was a lot of steps in fixing an ankle, I'd say. They were actually meant to leave the wire in there. It was just the location of it. It was just on the nerve. Oh, mate. Well, that's that's a different story to this one. This was where they actually left something inside the knee that wasn't meant to be in there. I was trying to get some sympathy from you. (laughs) That's all right. But that sort of stuff is exactly how accidents happen. We've got a tremendous amount of storage of information, that RAM. Uh, You can run a lot of apps at the same time. But 
you know, at a point, if it gets overloaded, then you know, you, mm. you might start doing some dumb stuff. So the point here is to make a bit of a checklist, to make almost like a mini cheat sheet for yourself. So obviously, the doctors, they can make a checklist of the steps that say, okay, put this piece back down on the table. Remember to remove this out of the knee before you close it back up. Um, that's an important checklist to have. But also like say employees using software to plan their day, they're using, you know, they're scheduling their most important tasks so that they don't have to think about it. Managers creating an agenda for the weekly team meeting so that you don't have to think about it. You, nothing's missed, nothing's forgotten. An entrepreneur doing the work once to create a slide deck so that they don't have to, you know, in every single pitch, remember all the most important points. They've done the work to create this checklist effectively for themselves. That's a big one, isn't it? You know, your weekly meeting with your taking half an hour, no one probably ever does, it's taking mm. half an hour to think about what is the best possible mm. agenda to get the most outcome, whereas pretty much every weekly meeting I have, it's just, uh, it's just the Wild West. You just go in there and just start, <laughs> just start doing stuff. That's it. The point is to do that effort once and keep reaping those rewards every point from there on. Man, nice quick app, an effortless app you might say. It was an effortless book to read, I think. It was an effortless book to read. Read a couple of other ones before getting into this one. Full of effort, good strategy, bad strategy, which we'll do. <laughs> we'll do an episode on, and I think we'll get a great episode out of it. But reading it was was a slog, wasn't it? <laughs> what if things could be easier? Someone else just did a Man, podcast changing, on it. The Changing World Order. That was an effortful slog. There was a Hunter Gatherer's Guide. That took a lot of effort to read that one. <laughs> this was an effortless book was also effortless to read well effortless is a yeah subjective thing but i think we're both on the same page this is this was a uh an easy one but that's the question right like every time you're doing something hard what happens if there was an easier uh instead of this heavier path you're choosing a lighter path to make it a bit more simple so if there is just one message from the book life doesn't have to be so hard and as complicated as we try and make it 